Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, the, the end of the chapter. Our scripture reading this morning is again Acts 12, 25 through 13, verse 3. Uh, this is the account of Barnabas and Saul being set apart for their first missionary journey by the church in Antioch. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, let's pray and ask for God's blessing on them. Our prayer for illumination this Reformation Sunday morning was written by Martin Luther. Would you pray with me? Eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give us your Holy Spirit who writes the preached word into our hearts. May we receive and believe it and be cheered and comforted by it in eternity. Glorify your word in our hearts and make it so bright and warm that we may find pleasure in it. Through your Holy Spirit, think what is right, and by your power, fulfill the word. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Acts 12, 25 through 13, 3. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, y'all come up and join me. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. All right, guys, I need two volunteers. I have a couple of jobs that I need doing. Uh, all right, yeah. Malachi, come on up. Eleanor. Come on up. All right. Uh, are, you, are you two ready to do what I need you to do? You ready? Okay. All right. Uh, are you ready to do your best? Yeah? Okay. All right. Eleanor, I need you. Uh, just hold this for a second. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna, in just a second, when I tell you to go, I need you to run that over to Miss Jenny and deliver that note for me. Okay? All right. Malachi, all right. You got the heavy job. All right. Put that on. I need you to deliver these bricks to Mr. Love in the back. All right, all right, you ready? All right, do your best. All right, ready, go. And then come back here quick. <laughs> there you go. You got it. Yeah. Excellent. Good job. Nice. Yeah, good work, Malachi. All right, run back up. <laughs> all right, you guys can have a seat. Good job, you two. Nice work, nice work. Oh, you came out of your jacket, man, how about that? All right, everybody, what, what just happened? Did, did they know what job that I had for them when they volunteered? No. Uh, they, they were just ready to do whatever job was needed. Uh, were the jobs the same in difficulty? No, okay, some jobs are harder than others. But did either of them do it half-heartedly? Like, were they lazy about the job? No, no, they both did their best, and I'm very proud of both of them. Well, guys, we see something like that in the book of Acts that we just read. 
Jesus' uh, disciples, they thought of themselves as servants of Jesus. That means they were ready to do whatever job Jesus was going to ask them to do. And since Jesus is Lord, that means he's the king, right? They were ready to do whatever their Lord told them to do. And not only that, they were ready to do it as best as they could. They were ready to give it their best. Uh, In Acts, that meant that the church was ready to send away Barnabas and Saul, the best teachers that they had. They were sending to somebody else. They were doing that so that the good news about Jesus could be spread further and further. They were even willing to endure the sadness of being away from their best teachers so that somebody else could benefit from the best teachers. And in the same way, you and I need to be ready today to do whatever work Jesus gives us to do and to give it our best even when it's hard. And I am very thankful to see Christians here at Trinity living that way. Not not long ago, uh, here in the church, we realized that we needed a new small group. Uh, You you know, small groups are an important part of our life together in the church, and we needed a new one. The other small groups were getting too full of people. We needed another small group. And and after some prayer and conversations, it seemed like Mr. and Mrs. Williams, some of you know Bryn, her mom and dad, they would be the best folks to lead that new small group. But you see, the Williams had been a member of a different small group for a very long time. They, they loved the people in that group, and the people in that group loved them. But both the old group and the Williams were ready to do what Jesus seemed to be asking them to do. And the group was willing to let the Williamses go so that they could be a blessing to even more people. And yeah, there was some sadness there because it meant that they they wouldn't see each other quite as often. But God was helping them to think and to act just like the disciples in Acts. They were ready to put the work Jesus gave even ahead of their own feelings. They were ready to give their best in the process. And because Jesus strengthens us like this by His Spirit so that His church is built up, That's why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thanks guys. You can go back to your seats. If you've not done so already, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, the very end of chapter 12 and uh, beginning of chapter 13, this uh, account of Barnabas and Saul uh, being sent off by the church in Antioch on their first uh, missionary uh, journey. When we looked at this passage last Sunday, we we noticed three things. You see them there listed at the the top of the the sermon outline. First, we noticed that the church at Antioch that that set apart Barnabas, uh, um, it was the church that set apart Barnabas and Saul for this work. Yes, it was the Holy Spirit who was calling them, uh, but it was the church that the Spirit used to actually commission them and to send them off on their first missionary journey. And we saw that this is significant because it shows us, first, that the work of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, uh, that work of making disciples of all nations, that that is the work of the church as the church. 
It is right and good for individuals to, to share the gospel with their neighbors and their co-workers and their friends as they go here and there, whatever their reasons for travel. But the great commission, the, the commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that commission was given to the church as the church. And that it was the church in Antioch as opposed to the church in Jerusalem that was used to set apart Barnabas and Saul shows us that this work of, of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is not only the, uh, the, the job of the first church, but it is the job of, of every church that is established throughout that process. Every church of Christ is called to this work. Every new church is a missionary church. And as I said last Sunday, it's, it's right and good that each congregation focus primarily on ministry in its place and its location. But at the same time, each congregation should be concerned to do what it can to support the work of the gospel going beyond its place, even to the ends of the earth. That is why we, we say here at Trinity that we exist to glorify God by making and equipping mature disciples of Jesus Christ both here in Cleveland and around the world. The second thing we noticed in the passage was that the Spirit spoke to the church in Antioch while they were worshiping and fasting. Again, this is significant because it, it suggests to us that the church in Antioch was earnestly seeking the Lord's face concerning the work that he would have them to do. That's the point of, of fasting. Barnabas and Saul had, had just returned from Jerusalem, and now the church was asking, what's next? What is it that the Lord would have us to do now? And they were seeking the Lord's face for direction. And again, as I said last Sunday, I, I think that is a beautiful model for every congregation. Every congregation has a share in the ministry of the gospel, first in its own place, and then, as we just saw, beyond to the ends of the earth. But there are seemingly countless ways to engage in that work. Not every church is called to do exactly the same thing. Different congregations have different gifts and different resources and, and different passions and different opportunities. And so each church must discern what exactly the Lord would have them to do in the effort to make disciples in its place and beyond. And it is right and good for a congregation to seek the Lord's face and worship and, and fasting as it seeks an answer to that question. And as I said, that's something I hope to, uh, to communicate with you more about in the weeks to come as we seek the Lord's face for, for his direction for us here at Trinity. The third thing we noticed in the passage is that the Holy Spirit answers them. We are not told how uh, the Spirit spoke, uh, but given the fact that there's a list of prophets in verse 1, it seems likely uh, that the Spirit spoke to them through one of the prophets whom he had given to the church in Antioch. But if this is correct, it, it raises a question in our minds. If the Holy Spirit answered the church in Antioch through the mouth of a prophet, does that mean that a church without prophets is without any hope of hearing from the Lord? That a church without prophets has no hope of being directed by him? Last Sunday I tried to show that that is not the case. It is true that the church today does not have prophets in the same way that there were prophets in the early church. The prophets in the early church spoke the very words of God to the church with God's very own authority. 
And that is why, together with the apostles, they were the foundation upon which the church was built, with Jesus Christ himself, whom they proclaimed being the cornerstone. They were the foundation because they delivered the faith once for all time to the saints. But, but think about it. Once the foundation is laid, you don't go on laying the foundation. Once the foundation is laid, you build upon it. And so if the prophets and the apostles were foundational, they are not what we need today. Instead, what we need today are people to build upon that foundation. We need people with other gifts, gifts of preaching and teaching, gifts of knowledge and wisdom, gifts of faith and generosity, gifts of hospitality and mercy, gifts of administration and leadership. We need people with these sorts of gifts to be building upon the foundation that was laid back in the days of the apostles and, and prophets. But of course, that's exactly the point. The point is that the same Holy Spirit who empowered the apostles and the prophets to lay the foundation now empowers his people to build upon that foundation, to build up the church to the glory of God. And it is the same Spirit who gifted the prophets and apostles who now gifts the members of his church who are building it up. And so while the church today does not have prophets in the same way that the early church had prophets, the church today can expect to be led and directed by the Spirit when it earnestly seeks the face of the Lord in worship and fasting. And so that's what we saw last Sunday. That's the, the first half of this passage. But this morning, I, I want us to look more closely at what the Spirit actually says when he speaks to the church in Antioch. And I, and I want us to notice two things in particular about his word to them. I want us to notice first that the Spirit's word to the church in Antioch is both specific and non-specific. It is, it is both particular and general. It is both precise and vague. It's, it's specific in that it specifies that the church is to set aside Barnabas and Paul and Saul, you know, later called Paul. It tells us exactly who it is that he is calling. But it is non-specific, or it's, or it's vague, in that it does not specify the work that he has called them to do. It, it merely states that he has something for them to do. And I want us to notice both of these aspects, both the, the specific and the non-specific, because I think both have, us, have something to teach us about the nature of the Spirit's calling. Let's begin with the, the non-specific aspect of the Spirit's calling. Look again uh, at verse 2. Look again at what the, the Spirit says to the church in Antioch. He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. As I, as I said, he doesn't specify the work. He just says, set them apart for, for the work that I'm going to give them to do. Now, it's possible that the lack of specificity here is simply a, a function of the narrative. It's, it's possible that the Spirit actually spoke more words to the church in Antioch, told them uh, what he wanted Barnabas and Saul to do. You, you recognize that the, the, the record of the, the communications that we have in the Scriptures are, are often summaries. Some of the sermons that we hear uh, in the book of Acts, we only take a few minutes to read through out loud, uh, and yet we, we know that they spoke for much longer. And so it's, it's possible uh, that the Spirit gave the church more details than we have recorded here. However, John Stott believes that the lack of specificity was essential to the Spirit's message. Uh, the, the Spirit simply said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have them to do because I have work for them to do, and you don't need to know what it is yet. 
That's the the nature of the Spirit's calling so often. In fact, if you go back to one of the first calls that we see in the Scriptures, in in Genesis chapter 12, when when God calls Abram to to leave the the land of his forefathers, to leave his his family behind, to leave his homeland behind, and and to simply go, he doesn't tell them where he is going. He simply says, go, leave your homeland, and I will show you where you're going when you get there. He didn't, he didn't tell him where he was going. He simply told him it was time for him to go. And Stott believes that, that such vague, nonspecific calls serve a purpose. They, they drive home the point that it is God's call that we are answering. That it is the Lord, the, the King, who is calling us into his service. And he is the King and we are not. God's call is not like a job offer. With a a job offer, you can consider the the responsibilities and you can consider the the benefits. You can weigh the pros and you can weigh the cons and then you can decide whether you want to accept. But when you do that, when when you consider a job offer, you aren't really answering a call. You are making a choice. You remain in control. Answering God's call is different. When we answer a call, we are showing ourselves to be God's servants, even his slaves. We are showing ourselves to be at his disposal. We are showing ourselves to be ready to do whatever work he gives us to do. And that's exactly what we see here. Barnabas and Saul are being set apart for the Spirit to do whatever work he gives them to do in the weeks and months and years ahead, even for the rest of their lives. And that is how every one of us ought to think of ourselves. We have been set apart for the Spirit to do whatever work he gives us to do. For many of you, for maybe even most of you, that will be the ordinary work of of ordinary life here and now. We don't don't often think of it that way, but but these are our callings. We are neighbors. We are are citizens in this community. We are citizens of this nation. We are an employee. We work somewhere. We are a friend. We are possibly a spouse or or a parent. These are our callings, and and each of these callings contains duties and responsibilities. These are works that, that God has given us to do to the praise of his glory. And for most of us, we, we spend most of our lives doing these ordinary works in the service of our King. But for some of us, answering God's call might mean going somewhere else, leaving home in order to serve in unfamiliar territory as ambassadors of his gospel. Some of us are going to be called to, to go somewhere else, to maybe somewhere uncomfortable, to serve our King. The point is that we are servants. The point is that that we are answering God's call. The point is that we must be ready to do whatever work he gives us to do. Like Barnabas and Saul, we are at his disposal, under his command. That's what I think the the nonspecific nature of the Spirit's call teaches us. So let me ask you, are you prepared to do whatever good works he has prepared for you to do? Are you prepared to take the bricks to the back of the sanctuary if that's the job that he gives you? Are you you prepared to, to support the worship and the work of his church however he gives you opportunity? 
Again, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not asking if you're willing to do everything. No one can do everything. And no one should try. We are finite creatures, and we need to honor our God-given limits if we are to honor God at all. And so I'm not asking if you're willing to do everything. I'm asking if you're willing to do anything. I'm asking, are you willing to do anything that he gives you the opportunity to do? Again, most often God leverages the gifts and the passions and the, and the resources that, that he has given us. For example, I most often support the worship and the work of the church through the ministry of his word. God has given me, at least I hope he has, uh, the gifts of preaching and teaching. He's given me a, a passion for understanding his word and for, for helping others to understand it. And he has leveraged those gifts by, by calling me to preach and to teach his word here at Trinity. But Sarah most often supports the, the work of the church through hospitality and encouragement and administration. She doesn't like to teach classes, but, but she supports the work of the church with the gifts that God has given her. And so those are the gifts that she uses in the service of Christ's church. But sometimes God works apart from our gifts and our passions and our resources. Sometimes God works in ways that remind us that, that ultimately the work depends upon him and not upon us. For example, when I was ready to do my internship at, at Covenant Seminary, I was hoping to find a, a, a non-youth internship in a PCA church. And of course, what I was given was a youth internship in a non-PCA church. And then when I was ready to graduate when in, and started looking for positions, I noticed that almost every position that I could find that was open to a seminary student, a recent seminary grad, was a youth position. And so I would go into those interviews and I would tell the church, uh, the search committees that I wanted to be their youth pastor, that I wanted to teach and disciple their students, but I didn't really do fun. <laughs> What's the truth? And yet somehow I still got a job. <clears throat> but again, in those cases, God was calling me outside of my comfort zone. Now, admittedly, it was just barely outside my comfort zone. I was still preaching and teaching. I was still doing what I was, I was called to do, but I was, I was working with youth instead of adults. But God called me to those works at those times. And the question that we must ask ourselves are, would we be willing to step outside of our comfort zone in similar ways to serve the work of his church? Most of you, as I said, will use your gifts and resources according to your passions here at Trinity to make disciples. But some of you, God may call to something uncomfortable. And some of you, he may call to something uncomfortable somewhere else. And we must be prepared to do whatever God gives us to do and to go wherever God calls us to serve him in his mission. Because ultimately, what the non-specific nature of this call shows us is that we are servants at the disposal of our Lord. But I also want us to notice the, the specificity of the Spirit's call. Notice the, the Spirit doesn't specify the nature of the work, but he does specify that it is Barnabas and Paul and Saul that he wants the church to set apart. And then imagine you're, you're in that congregation. Imagine you're, you're a member of the church at Antioch. How hard do you think it would have been for the church in Antioch to hear those specific details? Remember, before their trip to Jerusalem, Saul and Barnabas had been teaching in Antioch for a whole 
year. We, we learned that back in, in chapter 11. And here in verse 1, we, we see that they are named among the leaders of the church. How hard would it have been to have your, your pastor teacher taken away, to be sent somewhere else, especially when that pastor teacher was the Apostle Paul, maybe the, the greatest teacher in the history of the church. I, I can imagine many in the church saying, yeah, yeah we, we're all for missions, but can't we send somebody else? Yeah, we're, we're all for missions, but do we really have to send Barnabas and Saul? Can't we send Bill and Ted instead? You know, isn't there somebody else who can go? And yet... Yet they didn't. Look again at, at verse 3. We, we read that after fasting and prayer, they laid hands on them and sent them off. This time the prayer and the fasting is almost certainly for the purpose of entreating God's blessing upon the work. They had been fasting, asking God to, to show them uh, what was next. Now he has shown them, and so they, they seek the Lord's face to, to, uh, to ask him to bless the work that these people have been set apart to do. And then they lay their hands on them, commissioning, commissioning them for the work, designating them uh, as ambassadors of, of this church. But however you understand those signs, it is clear that they obeyed the Spirit's call. They set apart Barnabas and Saul for the Spirit and sent them off. Think about what that means. I have said repeatedly that the majority of a local congregation's resources are, are to be devoted to local ministry. However, this does not mean, or at least it should not mean, that a congregation only gives its leftovers to the ministry of the gospel beyond its immediate sphere. On the contrary, a local congregation must be prepared to give whatever resources are required to do the work that it has been called to do. I know that's a, that's a vague standard, give whatever's required, whatever's necessary to do the work that, that you're called to do, but, but that's intentional. We're not trying to, to work out a formula here. We are simply acknowledging the reality that we want to leverage the resources that, with which we have been entrusted. We want to leverage the, the best of those resources to do the work here that he's given us to do and to do the work out there that he has given us to do. We, we want to use our best to serve our king. And I saw that on display at the last Presbytery meeting that I uh, attended. Last uh, week, I was up in uh, Knoxville on, on Tuesday for our, our Presbytery meeting. And one of the, uh, the reports that we heard during that meeting was a report from, from one of our church plants in Knoxville. And the man who, who gave the report seemed to me, from, from what little I saw of him, to, to be a, a highly gifted ruling elder. But in the course of his report, he, he mentioned that he had previously been an elder, not at this church plant, but at another church there in, in Knoxville. And as, I, and as I heard him speak, I, I can only imagine how hard it must have been for that church to release him to this new work. He was no doubt a great blessing to his first church, and yet that church sent him to be part of this new work of, of getting another church started in another part of town. That would be incredibly hard. We've been blessed with, with wonderful elders here at, at Trinity. I am so thankful for, for the men who, who lead this congregation, but I can tell you it would be beyond hard to send one of them off, and yet that is what the church in Antioch is being asked to do, to send one of its leaders, one of its gifted leaders, to go and engage in gospel ministry elsewhere. It's a big ask and yet the church responds faithfully. We, we see it here. That's how the church responds in Antioch. That's how the church should always respond. 
We should always be prepared to, to set aside our best for the Spirit. After all, it is His work that we are doing. It is His kingdom that we are serving. And a, a willingness to send our best is a clear demonstration that we are His servants, committed to doing His will and accomplishing His purposes. But I want you to notice there are implications not only for the congregation as a whole, but for individuals as well. Because, yes, the church in Antioch was being asked to set aside Barnabas and Saul, but, but Barnabas and Saul were being asked to submit to being set aside for work of unknown challenges. And thus, it's not only the congregation as a whole that must be prepared to give their best, but it is each individual who, who makes up the congregation who must be prepared to give even their very lives. And again, I, I have seen this beautifully demonstrated here again and again at Trinity. I have seen elders who use vacation days to, to attend presbytery meetings in General Assembly. I have seen others use vacation days to go on mission trips or, or to engage in disaster relief. I've been, I have seen people give generously above and beyond their already sacrificial giving to, to meet particular mercy needs or, or to support particular ministries. I have seen people teach kids when they would rather teach adults. I have seen musicians come early and stay late, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, in order to help us worship the Lord with singing. Just the, the Reformation celebration we had last night was, was put together by people who gave generously of their, their time. The, the work day of a couple of weeks ago was, was organized by, by people who, who gave sacrificially, people who are giving their best to the work of the Lord. And in all these ways, we show ourselves to be his servants. We show ourselves, like Barnabas and Paul, to be willing to submit to whatever work he has prepared for us to do. And that is a glorious picture of what it means to be a servant of the Lord. Being servants of the Lord means that we are prepared both corporately and individually to do whatever work he gives us to do with the resources that he demands. But of course, this may leave you asking a question. If that's what it means to be a servant of the Lord, why would anybody do this? For most Americans, it, it makes some sense to give away some portion of our surplus for the good of others. But the church in Antioch, corporately, and Barnabas and Saul individually, are, are not being asked to, to give some portion of their surplus. They're being asked to give their best. They're, they're being asked to give more than their best. They're, be, they're being asked to give their entire selves. Why would anyone submit to such a demand? That's the question that you are asking yourself this, this morning. That's the, the question that you're asking yourself, even, even as you sit there hearing me speak. I want to draw your attention to one last aspect of the Spirit's call. Look again at verse 2. Look again at what the Spirit says. He says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. It's that, it's that phrase, for me, that I want you to focus on. Barnabas and Saul aren't being asked merely to give away their lives. <coughs> they are being asked to give their lives to the Spirit. And that makes all the difference. To give yourself to the Spirit 
is to give yourself to the triune God, the the one true and living God. To, To give yourself to the Spirit is to give yourself to the God who made you for himself, the God who created you in his image that you might eternally share in his perfect joy by glorifying him forever. But more than this, to, to give yourself to the Spirit is to give, you to give yourself to the God who did not leave you in the, in the misery of your sin when we rebelled against Him. But rather, He who in love set forth His Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we who had rebelled and were now justly deserving of death might instead have life in Him. This is the God that we are being asked to give ourselves And when you you see who God is, when you see who God is revealed in in the person of Jesus Christ, when you see who, who God is, you begin to recognize that it is not only safe, but that it is perfectly wise and good to give yourself to this God. It is wise and good because this God has demonstrated his love for you beyond reasonable doubt. Think of what Paul says in in Romans 8. If he did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? It is the gift of the son that confirms God's promise to work all things together for the good of those who loved him. If God so loved us when we were his enemies that he gave his son, we can rest assured that his love for us will not fail. We can rest assured that he will keep all of his promises. And more than that, not, not only that he will intend to keep his promises, but that he will keep his promises because his power has been demonstrated beyond reasonable doubt in the resurrection of his son. In Jesus' resurrection, God proved that his power is perfect. He proved that that no power in all of the cosmos, not even death itself, can thwart his purposes for working good for his people. He is the God who can bring about his purposes even after death. That's what Barnabas and Saul knew. They knew the resurrected Lord. They they knew the Spirit to whom they were being asked to entrust themselves. That's what the the church in Antioch knew. It's what they had learned from Paul and and Barnabas as they, they taught them. They knew the Lord whom they were serving. And because they knew Jesus Christ crucified and risen again, they were free, free to entrust themselves to Him without fear or reservation. They could give themselves to the Spirit fully and without qualification because they knew the Spirit who was calling them was the Spirit of Christ who had been given to rescue them from all their sins. And each one of us can do the same. As we've seen in this passage, as members of Christ's church, each one of us is, is called into the service of His kingdom. And each one of us can answer that call, whatever the specific details, because it is the Spirit of Christ who is calling. I don't know what all God has planned for you. I don't know the good works that he has prepared for you that you might walk in them. I don't know the works that he's prepared for me. I I don't know what the future holds, but I know the one who calls us. And because we know him, we can entrust ourselves to him. In fact, it's because it is the Spirit of Christ who calls us 
that we are able to call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, thank you for the grace that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him we have forgiveness of our sins. Thank you that in him we have been justified. Thank you that in him we have been called into the service of your kingdom. And thank you that in him we now have everything we need to do those good works that you have prepared for us to do, Father. Give us the grace we need to entrust ourselves to you without reservation, without qualification, to the praise of your glorious grace, both now and forevermore, both here in Cleveland and even to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.